we love you and we do praise you this day. We know that nothing in our hearts is secret to you, Lord. Nothing. And we know we get distracted from you, Lord. We know we get distracted. But right now, Lord, even in these next few moments and certainly over these next few hours, we pray, Lord, peel away the distractions. Send your Holy Spirit upon us that that not only the fellowship will be sweet, but the fellowship will be focused on you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'd ask you to take the Bibles out uh, uh, if you've got one in your seat or uh, perhaps uh, your own. And I'm asking us to uh, first look this morning um, at Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, beginning in the fifth chapter. And we're going to be... We're going to be looking at verses 11 uh, to the end of the chapter and then uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. So, Father Scott, maybe you could start us uh, with a few verses starting in verse 11 of chapter 5. Uh, read a few verses and then, some, and then you stop and let somebody else pick up until we get to the end. Okay, pause and somebody else. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for Mm. their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Mm. So these verses out of Second. Corinthians are some of the traditional verses 
appointed for a feast day of a missionary. And one of the reasons why I thought we might look at these today, besides the fact that even this week alone we had uh, Cyril and Methodius, great missionaries to the Slavs, who actually imprisoned because they because they dared to think that they could teach uh, the people in their own language, let alone that the people could worship in their own language. Mm. Or yesterday, Thomas Bray, a missionary to, to those wild and woolly colonies known as America at the time in the early 18th century, where there in Maryland he found what he said was uh, uh, basically an agnostic faith throughout the mm. entire colony. Mm-hmm. He, of course, went on to uh, actually develop and establish two significant missionary societies, the Society for Propagating the Gospel, uh, the other one, the Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge. Um, and, and, I, and I've got missionaries on my heart as I come to you because, you know, as, as, as I, as, as a bishop charged with giving you apostolic oversight for this great initiative. My brother bishops who were with me in doing that. What we have begun to realize is that we have to retain the understanding that the church needs missionaries. And that if anything, church planning is missionary. It's missionary work. And I know that for my own life, almost 20 years ago, um, um, as one of the founders of one of the missionary movements that then, along with other pieces, became the Anglican Church in North America, as one of the founders, I found myself all of a sudden under the Archbishop of Rwanda and my official license, my official status was I was a missionary Mm -hmm. to the United States. And I was recently praying, and I realized um, I miss those days. I miss those days when I was constantly reminded by especially the African bishops who oversaw us that we were missionaries to sometimes a hostile and agnostic, if not atheist, culture. I know I've shared with many of you a story that years ago when we were in a meeting similar to what you're doing, except it was a national meeting where we were beginning to discuss, so not only where are we going to plant churches, how are we going to plant churches, what are they going to look like, what are the bells and whistles they'll have, et cetera, et cetera. And we had all gathered at this meeting in Atlanta, and as we were meeting, we went through the day throwing up on the screen all sorts of plans, all sorts of, 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 of strategies. We, we, we put up there all sorts of demographics. We, 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 were, we were going to town. And about midway through the afternoon, one of the African bishops stood up, threw his Bible on the table about as loud as he could, and said, You Americans... You plan so much, pray so little, and read this even less. Mm. 
my word to you as we come to the table, because we'll read the gospel in a moment at the table, and I'm going to ask all of us to come up and surround the table. My word to you is to take home this second, these, these verses out of the second Corinthians, and begin to imagine that if, if you spend the majority of your time in prayer and in God's word, then begin to look at even these kind of verses as the template of the values that any church plant, any missionary church plant should be based on. We know that it's based on the reality that Jesus died once for all for all of us. We know that it's based on the reality that salvation has come, yes. But we also know that from the very beginning, the missionary effort of the church was to be a rescue mission, was to be a reconciling place. Now, I've got to tell you, I've been part of now almost 20 years of, of church planting work in all parts of this country. Interestingly enough, I've never actually planted a church myself. But I've been connected to church planting work. And one of my greatest concerns is that even with the zeal and the passion and, and what we have done now for, for 20 years in the United States is that I still believe that we have a long ways to go to establish rescue missions. That we've so often established things that draw a crowd or draw a people to sustain a budget. And yet if you go into many of those, even church plants of the last several years, if you go into them and ask them, are there transformed lives here? Are there lives that know that they were absolutely lost until they were found? And part of that is no one's fault except it always has to hearken back to what are the values we base everything we do on? I met with the youth pastors of my diocese uh, not so long ago, and I asked them one of those trick questions that a bishop sometimes likes to ask. So what's going to bring success to any of the programs you are planning for this coming year? That's the trick question. That's the trick question. Okay. <laughs> And so, in good fashion, all bright, some of them well-educated, seminary-trained youth pastors, you know, they all started giving what they thought was the right answer. That front row, here, teacher, I know what the right answer is. And it was all about, well, if you've got vision, then that will be successful. And if you've got strategy, then that will be successful. And, and they started listing all these things. Mm. And then I said, I didn't hear it once mentioned. You are ministering to a generation amongst several generations that are completely illiterate, mm -hmm. including those in church. Mm -hmm. Illiterate. 
If we base any of our work on any value, it must be the value of reading, marking, inwardly digesting, living, leading by His Word. Period. So one of the things I've given thanks over and over for is the value that you all have set as a group. We're going to be friends for the sake of mission. But why are you friends? Are you friends because a lot of you are like-minded or a lot of you sort of have missional kind of out... Or a lot of you maybe even have a vision for this region. Why are you friends? You're friends because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on every one of you. And His Word in you. So as we come to the table, and then those of you who have not experienced one of these kind of communions with me, just if, if you're used to a script, take a big, big <laughs> breath. You're not going to, you're not going to have a script, okay? But I want us to think as we come to the table about the words that Paul has given us here today, and then we're going to hear from Matthew, uh, from the Gospel according to Matthew. But as you come to the table and as we celebrate communion together, I hope that you will bring the various elements of the spheres of your influence, whether it be your family, whether it be your marriage, whether, whether it be the church plant you're starting or the church plant you dream of. And I pray in some senses that maybe in some way you will, you will experience what we experienced that day when that African bishop threw that Bible down and they then locked the doors. And made us get on our knees for hours. I still remember the projectors running. <laughs> From all the slides and pictures and strategies we were putting up, I can still hear the projectors running. And yet God had called us to our knees. And into his word. So as you come to the table, my encouragement would be, okay, friendship's great. Are they supporting each other toward that end of constantly being in your, on your knees in his word for everything you do? Let's come to the table. Let's, let's circle up and gather around. <clears throat> get that for me? Thank you. To those whom it will minister to.
I'm, I'm here but to minister to you. Yes. So interestingly enough, one of the traditional other lessons for the feast of a missionary is out of the ninth chapter of Matthew. As they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed and oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. The crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. And yet Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom healing every disease and every affliction. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were indeed harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When his, when, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are so few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We can see why, especially in the last verse, why this would be chosen for missionaries. But what about the other verses? What about the fact that rarely, rarely did Jesus ever send them out or go himself preaching the kingdom of God? without healing, and without casting out demons. That is the connection to being a rescue mission, isn't it? That this broken and fallen world needs both healing, both as individuals, marriages, families, needs healing, restoration, redemption, forgiveness, needs Jesus. And so, along with, as you come to the table, considering what in your own lives are you doing to be both on your knees and in his word, in what ways are you also living a life that is casting out demons, that is, in fact, bringing healing to others? And that is, in fact, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God in the midst of it all. Lord Jesus, we have already stated that what binds us together is your precious blood.
and the water of our baptism, which is thicker than any human connection we could have. We're thankful, Lord, that you come and break our hearts for those who are lost, those who are broken, those who are desperately in need of your redemption. They come in all shapes, all sizes. They come in unexpected ways. And yet both to our parishes and to maybe even any future church plant that we hope to be part of, Lord, we pray if nothing else, each of them are centers of healing, restoration, forgiveness. Forgiveness.